You may be seated, and if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of John, fourth Gospel in the New Testament, the Gospel of John. We're going to look at chapters, uh, chapter 11 in the Gospel of John, and we're going to look at the first 44 verses, which if you're familiar, uh, I'm not going to preach 44 verses, and so, but we're going to look at the first 44 verses. Uh, the air sucked out of the room right there at the beginning, but the, uh, um, but if you're familiar with the Gospel of John here, you know that this is the account of, of the death and, and, and the first resurrection, the resurrection of Lazarus. And, and we're going to look at a very high level this morning at this historical event that the Apostle John, by the inspiration of the Spirit, records for us and has preserved for us here. And, and we're going to see, and there's, there's four things, and it's not just four things, but there's four things this morning that we're going to look at that Lazarus's his resurrection preaches to us. And so I'm going to read the account here. It's a riveting story. And as I read it, remember, right, these are the word, even though this is, this is through a human author, the Apostle John, these are really the words of the Holy Spirit, God speaking to us through these preserved words. And so there's 44 verses here that as I read them, we want to reverence them because it's God's word to us. And so John, he documents it this way. He says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, sent to Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It's for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Right, mark that. And Jesus is really plain spoken right there in that moment. Verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer. He didn't leave. He stayed two days longer in the place that he, where he was. Then after this, his, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going to go there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light's not in him. Verse 11, After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Right? Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant he was taking a rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, right, for their good, for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Verse 16, so Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. 
Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out and she met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And here's the climax. Here's the crux of this passage here. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who's coming into the world. Verse 28, when she had said this, she went, also, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher's here and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly, as one does when Jesus calls them, right? She rose quickly and went to meet him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, And the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said to her, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me. Get this. But I said this on account of the people standing around. Right? They're good. That they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who died came out. Right? As one does when Jesus calls them came out his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the account of this first resurrection. And so Lord, help us to see not just this story, God, but even the overarching things that you would have us to see by your spirit. And God, increase our faith, our confidence in you and your word in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a gripping story, right? This is, if we're really entering into 
to all the details. And then there's a lot here, right? There's a lot that could be said even about Jesus entering into the grief here. There's a lot that could be said about his decision to wait for the good of those around. And, and we're going to get into a little bit of that here. But, but this story is gripping. And the Holy Spirit through John here, we should see, is he's a masterful storyteller. He's a masterful storyteller. This is a story of a man coming back to life. And what I want to suggest this morning is that although it's about Lazarus, right? Although that historically happened, it's not about Lazarus, right? Even though it is about Lazarus, and that really did happen, Jesus really did bring Lazarus back from the dead. That's not primarily the thing that we need to see this morning. I would even go as far to say that that's an important subplot to this text here. Right, what Jesus wants us to see, what the Holy Spirit of God wants us to see, requires that we have eyes of faith, right? It requires the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit of God. And not just to see it, right? Not just to see it, but to relish in it. To relish in it. And, and, and not just to relish in it, but to know from an experiential place, right? Because we've entered into it and we've tasted and we've seen that the Lord is good, to have confidence with the, with the gospel of God shed abroad in our hearts that this is true, that this is true. And what we need to see is that the resurrection of Lazarus, it's not about Lazarus primarily. It's, it's bigger than him. And, and this section of Scripture, it demonstrates that to us this morning. And like I said, there's four things that I, that I want to see that I think help to show us the bigger picture of what God in Christ Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, is doing here. And so if you're taking notes this morning, you, you could jot this down. The resurrection of Lazarus teaches us that Jesus has authority over death because He is the resurrection. Right? The resurrection of Lazarus teaches us that Jesus, who's the main character in the story, has authority over death because he is the resurrection. This is the first thing we need to see, I think, because of the climax of the story, which is in verse 25, or what I think is the climax to the story here in verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am, right? I am the resurrection and the life. And this is the, one of the famous I am statements from Jesus. And it's a claim, it's a clear claim to, to supreme deity. Right? In fact, that's one of the motives of the, the Apostle John writing the book of John is to convince you not just of, of Christ being truly human, which he does, definitively does, but to prove that he's truly God definitively as well. Truly God, truly man. Right? It's a claim that's so powerful. This I am claim is so powerful that we organize as Christians, we organize our weeks around it. You're here this morning, the first day of the week, not Saturday, the first day of the week, to worship. It's one that's so powerful. This is a claim that's so powerful, Christ being the resurrection and the life. Not only do we see it clear in Scripture, places like this, but all of creation testifies to it, right? Just in general revelation, spring is here, right? Spring is here, and, and it's filled with little 
resurrections of things that we once thought were long dead, right? Is that plane ever going to come back? Did I kill that thing? But creation itself, it testifies to Jesus' resurrection. Look at the text with me this morning. Just look at verse 25, or we may have it up on the screen. But we have Jesus... Again, he's making an assertion that he's, he, has, he has authority that only God possesses. And he has authority that only God possesses. This is, again, what, what the Apostle John, the author of, this, of the gospel here, documented for us. He, he records Jesus demonstrating to Mary, demonstrating to Martha, demonstrating to his disciples, demonstrating to Jewish religious leaders, both uh, some who were tender toward him and some who were hard, dangerous skeptics of his but him demonstrating that he has authority over life and over death. And it's not just that Jesus demonstrate this by, demonstrates this by resurrecting a man. It's that Jesus has authority over life and death because he is, and this is what we need to get at, and I'm going to say it in multiple ways, and by God's grace it seeps in for us this morning, but he is the resurrection and the life. Resurrection, bodily coming back from the dead. Life itself, standing up out of the grave. That doesn't exist at all apart from Jesus. It just doesn't. It's not a thing. It doesn't exist outside of his person. Jesus and resurrection, Jesus and life are inseparable from one another. A few more passages to to even help fill this out, give us a clearer picture. John says earlier in this gospel about Jesus In chapter 1, verse 4, in him, in Christ, was a life. Was a life. In in Christ was a life. And life, that life, was the light of man. In other words, Christ, who's life himself, he gives gives sight. He gives salvific, save you from your sins, high-definition sight to otherwise blind and consequently dead, spiritually speaking, men. Right? Men walking, wandering in the dark, content with their wandering in the dark. Take John chapter 6, verses 57 and 59. Jesus says, As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. And this is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread that the fathers ate, right? He's going back to the Old Testament here. Not like the bread that the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread, he's talking of himself. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Jesus, he, he... He's the bread from heaven that produces and sustains life. He's the the better manna, if you will. He's the better manna. And that passage, even as I was looking at that passage this week, I thought, man, this this puts into better focus for us even the rich symbolism of, of something that we do every single Lord's Day, which is come to the table, right, as God's church for communion. Right? We must feast on Christ, who is life. We must feast on Him spiritually for our very lives, for sustenance, 
to be, to be even reminded because we're forgetful that we will live because Christ is in us and we're in Christ and he's the resurrection and he's the life. Right, John chapter 14, a little bit beyond John 11 and the resurrection of Lazarus, we see another I am statement of Jesus. Jesus said to him, I am, and many of you probably have this committed, the way, right, the truth, and the what? The life. No one, this is an exclusive claim here, right? No one comes to the Father except through me. I mean, the way to have peace with God, the Father, is through Christ Jesus. There's no, there's no other way to get around it, right? There's no other source, no other route to peace with God except through Christ. In Christ is life because He is life just as He is the way, just as He is the truth. Now hear the words of the Apostle Paul, Colossians chapter 3, verse 4, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with Him. And glory. Now, this is just a sampling of passages, mostly from the Gospel of John, but also from the Apostle Paul. And, and, and we need to get a sense of, again, what it is that they're driving home. And what we need to see and never get past is not that Jesus gives resurrection life, though he does, but that he himself is the resurrection and the life. There's no other way. There's no other way to rise from the dead to eternal peace with God except through Jesus. Right? United to Jesus, united to life. Right? Those of us who are united to Jesus are united in, in, in the resurrection, which we'll get to a little bit more in a moment. So Jesus, who's truly man, Jesus who is truly God, he has authority over death because he is the resurrection and the life. That's the only reason there's such thing as a resurrection. It's because of Jesus. Secondly, the resurrection of Lazarus should direct us, right? And this may seem obvious to us, but it should direct us toward a greater resurrection, right? The resurrection of Lazarus should direct us toward a greater resurrection. And really, that's the flow of all of Scripture, if you're familiar with your Bibles. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, we see this overarching theme, right? We see redemptive patterns. But, 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 but actual historical events that preach to us uh, a more glorious, a more grand reality. Right? And, and here in our text, we, again, we should enter into a story like this, and I would encourage you to read it again this morning. But Lazarus, right, a, a friend to Jesus, a man that Jesus loved, right? brother to Mary who anointed Jezus' feet with oil into Martha, right? he died. He died. And Jesus, he didn't prevent that death. He didn't prevent the death. Right? Lazarus was really dead. Right? Our passage says that he was dead for four days. There was concern about a stench. Right? There was a, 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 um, a stone covering the mouth of the tomb that needed to be rolled away. But there's real grief present in this passage. There's lots of if-only statements in this passage, aren't there? We may be full of if-only statements in our own lives, if only. But we even see in our text, we see the compassion of Christ, right? who, who was stirred emotionally. He wept. 
Right? Christ is truly man. He wept. In Christ, in His humanity, we see in His weeping, He enters into the grief of others. Willingly. Willingly enters into the grief of others. Right? This, this whole thing about His incarnation and becoming a man was about Him condescending to us, being amongst us, being near us. And that's messy work. Now think of how messy it is when we're committed to one another in life, right? Think of the messiness of someone who's perfect, someone who's never sinned, entering into our stuff, our mess. But in in this bit of history that John records here, we, we see... Man, Christ, by the word of His power, undo death. Right? He, he, he reverses it here. Right? Death that we know is an enemy. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 26 and 28. Christ speaks. He speaks. He prays to the Father. Then He commands. He doesn't ask. He commands Lazarus to come out of death. That is an incredible story. That's an incredible story, and it's true, right? It's true. It really happened. The death happened. Jesus arriving on His sovereign timetable four days later actually happened. The grief of Mary and Martha and their companions in Jesus, that all happened. And Lazarus obeying the voice of the one who loved Him, obeying the voice of His Lord and His Master and His Savior, that happened. We don't need to move too quickly past that or ignore that or feel the weight of that. But at the same time, we want to pay attention to what the Holy Spirit of God is preaching to us through the Word here and what what Christ was foreshadowing. What Christ Himself was foreshadowing, foreshadowing to those who were witnesses to this miracle. Because while this was the first resurrection, this was not an eternal resurrection. Lazarus was going to be grieved again because Lazarus was going to go into that tomb again. This was a, a temporary thing that was being used by Christ to foreshadow something even more grand, more glorious, more significant, and better for Lazarus than this initial resurrection. The resurrection of Lazarus, it preaches to us the unchanging message that that the one who has authority over his life is the one that would conquer death, the one that would conquer hell, the one that would conquer the grave. And that is exactly what we see. And you know this, don't you? Because that's why you're here. That's why you're here. Because you know this. Even those of us that, that may reject this, Know this because this grand, fixed, true story is written on our hearts and it's preached to us, again, in creation. Now, this is why we, along with the church, speaking to believers here, we, along with the church for the last 2,000 years, that's why we gather each and every Lord's Day. We celebrate Resurrection Sunday, not just at Easter. We celebrate it every single Sunday. That's the whole point of us meeting on Sunday is to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Something significant happened on that first Easter Sunday all those years ago. 
right? Jesus Christ, truly man, truly God, not only took our sins upon himself, not only took the wrath of God for us on the cross, but he died. He really died and he was buried. And three days later on the first day of the week, that first Sunday, he bodily and eternally rose again. Right? Unlike Lazarus, Jesus rose to never die again. Right? That's that again. This is what we celebrate every single Lord's Day. We don't need an Easter holiday to come together and celebrate the resurrection. We celebrate Easter every single Sunday, every single Lord's Day. So the resurrection of Lazarus, it points forward, points us forward to a greater, grander resurrection, the bodily, eternal resurrection of Jesus. And now we 2,000 plus years later, we look back to the most significant event in history and we see that the world has forever been shaped, forever changed by it, and that includes us. That includes us. Which gets us to the third thing that we see in the resurrection of Lazarus. And the resurrection of Lazarus should give us hope that those in Christ will rise again. And I'll get to the point where we, whether you're in Christ or not, you're going to rise but there's a stark contrast between those not in Christ and those that are in Christ. But the resurrection of Lazarus, it gives Christians hope because those in Christ will rise again. Verse 25, the second part again, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said, yes, Lord, I believe that you're Christ, the Son of God who's coming into the world. All right, Christian hope. Christian hope isn't wishful thinking. Christian hope isn't wishful thinking. It's the anticipation of glory. It's the anticipation of glory. It's a certain anticipation. That those of us in Christ, though we die, we shall live. Christ's resurrection and Him yoking Himself to us, Him wedding Himself to us, makes this an absolute certainty. And it has implications for us now, and it has implications for us in future glory. Okay, the implications for us now, right? the immediate effect is, is that those of us in Christ have been spiritually resurrected. We've been spiritually resurrected from spiritual death to spiritual life. And, and, and that is an immediate result of Christ coming back from the dead. Paul says it like this in Romans chapter 6, verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And he, and he says something similar to this in Colossians chapter 2, verse 12 as well. But our present union with Christ means that we reap the salvific benefits of Christ's sacrifice in Christ's resurrection. We reap those benefits now. Now. We can enjoy benefits now. Right? If, if you're in Christ, you are spiritually resurrected with Christ. And the Father, God the Father, has no more wrath left for your sins because Christ's death satisfied God's wrath and Christ's resurrection proved your justification. Romans chapter 4, verse 25. You're spiritually resurrected in Christ. But not only are we spiritually resurrected, not only that, but this future hope, this future glory, right? one day we'll resurrect just like Christ did. One day Lazarus 
will resurrect just like Christ did, bodily and eternally. And at our call to worship, we read a part of this passage, but I would encourage you to read all of it, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, because the resurrection of Jesus, it guarantees your resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus guarantees, that's again, it's inseparable. It's inseparable. But listen to just this glorious passage regarding our future resurrection, being an absolute certainty because of Christ's resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, starting with verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And we're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did did not raise if it's true that the dead are not raised. See how closely our resurrection is with the resurrection of Jesus there? And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Verse 18, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. It gets even more depressing. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we're of all people most to be pitied. And then Paul shifts. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. That's a glorious passage, isn't it? And we don't need to get past that. And we don't need to think about it once a year. We should think about it every Lord's Day. Every Lord's Day. It should animate our very lives. We will bodily and eternally resurrect because of the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, every, everyone, like I said a moment ago, is going to be raised. But only those in Christ will be raised to eternal rest, to eternal joy in the Lord. Those not in Christ, those who refuse to have their sins forgiven... They'll rise to eternal damnation. They'll rise to the eternal wrath of God in hell because they'll stand before the judge of heaven and earth, right? the one who has all authority, and they'll have to give an account for their works, works that on their best days is sinful and corrupt. We read in our time of confession, we can't earn salvation through works of the law. All men need Christ. All men need Christ. Christ, the resurrection and the life, is the only way Truly, the only way to the good life, the life of joy, the life of delight, the life of peace, the life of rest, all found in his person. Right? Christ is the only way to get your sins forgiven. Christ is the only way to be at peace with God. Right? Those in Christ will rise again, rise again to everlasting happiness because we'll be with our Savior face to face. And the final thing we need to see, just quickly, I wish not quickly, but the last thing we need to see from the resurrection of Lazarus and and ultimately the resurrection of Jesus is that the resurrection is about seeing the glory of God. It's about seeing the glory of God. Look at verse 4, then drop down to verse 40 and 42. They serve as sort of a bookend in my mind here. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It's for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Verse 40. 
Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And while the word glory isn't mentioned here, we can see it implied. Verse 42, the Lord praying to the Father, I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on the account of the people standing around, that they may believe you sent me. Right? What makes, what makes a resurrection to life glorious isn't coming back from the dead, even though that's amazing. What makes a resurrection glory, what makes a resurrection of life glorious is the chief end that that resurrection serves, which is to glorify God. It's to glorify God. The Westminster Shorter Catechism serves us best here. The question is, what's the chief end of man? And the answer is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Forever. I said this a couple of weeks ago in a sermon, and, and, and Chris has done an excellent job at highlighting this in the, cl- in the class at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. But the glory of God, and we see it here clearly, the glory of God and our eternal good is, is, is also inseparable. Right? It's so interwoven. Right? A resurrection not only brings honor and glory to God, which is primary, but that, that, that glory isn't disconnected from us, from our good, from our eternal well-being. Right? We get resurrected. We get resurrected. And, and not just resurrected. We don't just get resurrected, but resurrected to being with God forever. That's what makes heaven heaven. That's what makes the new earth and the new heavens new is that sort of relationship where we're in the presence of God without sin, without suffering, without sorrow, without the possibility of, 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 of temptation even. Right? All, the, all the stuff that we deal with on a daily basis that we're so sick of and that makes us just long for the return of Christ, that's all good. But being rid of all that stuff isn't the best stuff, right? The best stuff is that we are with God forever, forever. Adoring Him, worshiping Him, enjoying Him, delighting in Him for all eternity. And get this. And I'll I'll close with this. And we get to practice that every single Lord's Day when we're together. We practice that. That's what we're doing here this morning. And so I pray that that gathering like this together, I pray that it's soul nourishing for you. I pray that it's encouraging and it's uplifting because this is what, what we're doing right now is what we're created to do. And it's what we'll be doing for all eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. A few takeaways for us. You can find this in your bulletin. The resurrection of Jesus was the beginning of new creation. New creation. Because Christ rose from the dead, nothing and no one remains unaffected. Because Christ rose from the dead, nothing and no one remains unaffected. Secondly, the resurrection of Christ makes the completion of the Great Commission not only possible, but certain but certain. If Christ has all authority, 
And if Christ rose from the dead, he will transform people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Three, Christ's resurrection impacts us now. We are eternally forgiven. Sin has lost its dominion over us. We have the righteousness of Christ. The Holy Spirit lives in us. We are truly redeemed. Four, Christ's resurrection impacts us in the future. We will bodily rise. And what makes resurrection glorious is that we will be with our triune God for eternity without any hindrances. We go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for this time in your word, God. Thank you for what this historical event, God, Lazarus coming back from the dead, what that preaches to us so many years later, Lord. Help us to internalize it, God. Help us to be forever changed by it. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.